Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Alec Russell, the founding host of the podcast. I've been crewing up on sets for over 10 years. I made dozens of films, shorts and features as either a producer or a director. And my first feature film as a writer and director of The Alternate is premiering at the Dances with Films Film Festival this Saturday, September 11th. Um, you can't get your tickets because by the time this airs, it'll already happened. <gasps> and I won't be a bundle of nerves anymore. It'll be great. Yeah. We're talking to the future. <laughs> That's insane. Exactly. Well, I hopefully um, will be just as uh, proud of you as I am now in, in in a week from today when this episode will be out. I am Liz Manischel. I am a writer, director, producer with um, two features on which I did those three things. I am also a former film critic, a current distribution consultant, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative and um, watch my second feature, Speed of Life, on Showtime. I'll say it's very good. People should watch it. This week, we welcome writer-director Ben Hickernell on the show to talk about his latest film, What We Found, and how he moved from being an indie, indie drama filmmaker to making more of a genre film and how the film was put together, and ultimately how it did in the marketplace. Ben is a five-time feature filmmaker, so we also dig into how he gets his films off the ground in the first place, and how he is able to make a living as a filmmaker, which is amazing. By the time this airs, my film The Alternate will have premiered, and I have some final questions for Liz about the importance of going to film festivals, and how to stay sane when you feel like you're about to puke from anxiety over your premiere, which is how I feel right now. Lastly... If we have time, we will finally answer this listener question we've been pushing off for weeks, which I hope we get to because it's a good one. Um, And also, are you an emerging or or working writer? Then you should check out the International Screenwriters Association. The ISA is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your log line to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list, which features some of the best writers um, that are part of their network. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. And without anything else to say and no more mess ups, here's our talk with Ben Hickernell. Ben Hickernell, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Give us the elevator pitch for what we found for those who didn't listen to your bonus episode from months ago. Okay, sure. Yeah, uh, what we found is a, a teen uh, murder mystery. Uh, it's kind of Stand by Me meets The Wire. It's set in Baltimore, where I grew up, and it, two 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 movies slash uh, show that I I love very much. And um, yes, yeah, essentially, it's the story of Marcus and Holly, two young best friends who are just starting their senior year of high school. Or sorry, it's right in their freshman year of high school. They're just starting high school. They're 14 years old. And a friend of theirs who's a senior uh, disappears and they try to in West Baltimore and they try to find out what happened to her. So it kind of borrows from Stand By Me and The Wire and from my childhood. And um, I was trying to write a fast moving kind of mystery. I've used the word thriller and I found that's a misnomer because people then expect like John Wick and it's not it's not that it's more of a mystery. But I was trying to write a fast moving, exciting uh, movie after doing a bunch of character dramas, uh, but it still has kind of the heart of it has kind of an indie heart with a lot of character moments as well. So that's the movie. And uh, I'm really proud of the 
kind of young cast and how it turned out. So yeah, it was great to great to release it last year. Thumbnailing 15 questions from that. Um, how many days did you shoot? That one, well, that, that's a funny story again, you know, because it always comes down to funding, right? So we wanted to do 25 and then we didn't have the money for that. So we ended up shooting principal in a crazy 18 days, three, six day weeks. That's all we could kind of get. And if you see the movie, I mean, literally they say like, don't do children, water or animals. We literally have like several minors, like because we cast actual 14 year olds too. We didn't do 18 year olds as 14 year old. we did 14 year olds. So we can only shoot like so many hours a day. So we had minors, we had a major water scene. If you see the movie, you'll see that. And we even had a scene with the dog. So we did everything not supposed to do. We did it in, uh, in three weeks, which was crazy. But that then meant um, that we did have to do pickups. So we raised some more money later on to fill in some things and, and reshoot a few things and did four days of pickups that were instrumental to finishing the film. And, you know, originally, if we had done 25 days, we wouldn't need to do that. But that's that's indie filmmaking is we just didn't have the money at the time we needed to go. So we did what we could. And then we had to uh, fix some things. But I think, you know, I think in some ways that worked out well, too, because um, for some of the some of the cast, young cast was very experienced. Some of them, it was their first movie. So I think it gave a few of the younger cast also a chance to kind of like get a second stab at some beats. And that was helpful. That's my cat. That's Charlie. It's he, he's my he's my director's assistant. He'll be here. <laughs> Um, what was the rough budget of the film? Uh, in the end, it's between six hundred and seven hundred thousand. Under a million? Oh, I should, or, or should I? You want to edit that? Do you just say under a million? Well, it's up to you. We want that. We want you to not edit that. <laughs> We'd like to. Keep if that. it's already sold and the deals are done, who cares, right? Everybody so. knows. And and actually, it was, it was funny because I I I kind of try to play a coy and. Distributors are kind of smarter now. Like I try to play a coy, and then the, in a few discussions, I was kind of like under a million. And they were like. They're like, yeah, we're guessing around 600,000. And I was, you know, like, they kind of can tell now, you know? So anyway, yeah, that's what that's it was. So that's, the, that's the real deal. Um, how did you and Charlie come up with the idea? <laughs> um, I might lock him out in a second. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so like I said, I, I, I'd done at that point, depending on how you count my movies, two or three character dramas. And, um, you know, a lot of my discussions after making these movies with distributors was like, you know, it's well made, we like it. Oh, you're in South by Southwest, great. But, you know, dramas are hard to sell and not big enough names and et cetera. So I was like, I want to try to do what I do, but do it in a quote unquote, for lack of a better term, more commercial way. So it did start with not a cold calculation, but it kind of started more conceptually. You know, it started with, okay, what kind, it started as a type of movie. And I was like, I want to do, I literally remember at the premiere of a rising tide in Seattle, which, which was great. It was, it was, it was fun, but it was like nine o'clock on a Friday. And you know, the, like my South by Southwest premiere for Lebanon PA had been like packed and sold out. Right. And then my second movie was like Seattle, nine o'clock on a Friday, kind of rainy, <laughs> like two thirds full. And I just was like, man, like, you know, and, I, and I'm really proud of that film too. I'm, I'm not trying to like throw shade on my own films. It was just that I had a kind of moment of clarity at the after party. I was like, you know, movies are, people want to see certain kind of movies. And I was like, my next movie, I need to do something different. And I literally, I think said like, after a few beers, I was like, my next movie, like end of act one, somebody's getting a bullet to the head, you know? And so that was kind of part of the, uh, honestly, part of the um, inspiration because, you know, uh, don't want to spoil the movie, but there, there, there are, there is a murder, there are murders involved. So, so that was kind of how it started. And then, so when I was like 13 years old, I used to go uh, camping all the time with my friends. It was kind of our little escape. We would like go skate, we would skateboard off to like the state park, Patapsco State Park in Baltimore and go camping. And uh, don't tell the park service who would like, you know, spend the night and go skinny dipping the river and like, you know, like you're not supposed to be there after dark and stuff. But um, 
So those experiences kind of informed this movie where these kids do, they go camping in the woods. Um, they're looking for a body in the woods, kind of like Stand By Me. So it it kind of became this, this mystery and this kind of thriller, but also a statement about what it was like for me growing up. Um, Marcus is a young kind of nerdy kid. He's a young nerdy kid who takes a moral stance. And that's kind of the kind of kid I was. I was the kind of kid in like middle school who'd be like, but it's not right. You know, <laughs> like talking about like, you know, <laughs> illegal wars or like, you know, I was very into social justice and moral issues. And, um, and so when I was writing Marcus, he's also this young kind of nerdy kid who's kind of in a lot of ways like dismissed by his peers, but um, you know, he's not like, not that's anything wrong with play football. He, he, he's, he's not doing some of this stuff like other kids do, normal kids do. He, he is really interested in these bigger issues. And so then when this, when this person he knows disappears and a lot of the other kids at the high school are kind of like, you know, man, that sucks. You know, they, they, they're not, they're not worried, but they're not like, I'm going to do something about it. And he has this kind of moral compass. And he's just like, no, like I know her. I need to do something about this. And so him and Holly, who's his uh, kind of other more nerdy friend, they, they go and try to find out what happened to her on their own. Um, and there's a storyline with the police and there's maybe some corruption there. So there's kind of a reason too, why they think maybe the police aren't really quite looking into the way they should. So anyway, so it really comes from that. It came from my childhood experiences and that sense of, of morality. And that kind of, in a wonderful way, some uh, kind of simple morality you can have as a child where you're just like, this is not right. I'm going to do something. And that's kind of Marcus's thrust. You know, that's, that's what sets him on this path. Um, and then how long did you spend working on the film from, you know, coming up with the idea to it being released? Yeah, I don't know. A, a million years? No, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, started writing it in kind of 2016. Uh, we shot it in, yeah, 2015, 2016, then fundraising. Fundraising, I mean, it's still always the hardest part of the movie. It used to take me a long, long time. Now I do have some funding connections that it took me about a year and a half to kind of fundraise and get, but like I said, we didn't then have as much as we needed, but you know. Uh, so it kind of in one way it went on for years so we went through the whole process but about a year and a half to get it ready to shoot shot in 2018 uh did some pick oh, sorry sorry shot in 2017 then did some pickups in 2018 had to wait we edited and waited for the weather to change to do the pickups because we went into winter so we had to wait for like the spring to come again did those pickups and then finished the movie around um early 2019 and then it came out in 2020 so so yeah so you know it, it actually it actually was like a three or four year journey, which some of my movies were like five or six. So that wasn't as crazy. One of my questions later. Um, and I think I'm, I might have heard you wrong, but you said something about 2015, 2016. That's when you wrote the script, right? Not. Yeah, I was start. Yeah, because because Rising Tide premiered in 2015. So like I said, that that party was Seattle, like summer 26, 20, 2015. So it was probably the germ, the, the, the germ, the seed was there. And then probably 2016 was like in earnest writing. Yeah. And then by end of 2016 was like starting to fundraise and stuff. And then we got it shot in 20 or maybe like mid 2016. We got it shot in 2017, late and 2017. The last of our rapid fire questions is compared to all the other films you've ever done. How difficult was this one? This was I mean, they're each different in different degrees. Right? But this is in general was the hardest shoot I'd ever had. And there are a number of reasons for that. Um, uh, there were a number of reasons for that. And some I won't go into because it has to do with like personalities and stuff, you know, um, not with any of the cast. The cast was like lovely, but there was some behind the scenes stuff happening. And then it was a, a big part of it was what was this money shortage that we thought we had more money than we did and had to really scramble at the end to like figure out how to make it happen. And that meant cutting the schedule and cutting scenes. It really was like this, like, you know, 
um, uh, like boot camp or this this kind of thing of just like we are going to make this movie happen by any means necessary and we you know buckled me and the team and like uh, buckled down and did and, and we did and i'm really proud of it um but it was it was a grueling shoot it was it was crazy like every movie i lose like i lose a few pounds like during prep you know just from the complete busyness and lack of uh, and stress and like lack of time to like uh eat and be a human so i mean i, I yeah i don't know i don't know how many i guess it's like a meter of like how many pounds you lose during like prep and so this was like an eight pounder i don't know it was something but it was uh it, it was crazy stressful but then when we were shooting you know we had an amazing camera team because we had to move fast we only had three weeks right so the camera team was amazing um the cast was amazing people really pulled in and, and made it happen and i'm really grateful for that um so I'm really curious, like you've made five feature films, um, you know, you like seem to be a career feature film maker, which is amazing. Um, is this what you do to uh, pay the bills and, and everything? Or do you have other jobs that you do on the side? Mostly, yeah. I mean, actually, and, and, I, and I thought you'd ask that question. I, th I think I used to in the past, like, you know, try to be more, um, you know, you, you try to create because Hollywood's like all this illusion. You try to create this air of success and like you try to like, uh, I don't know. But these days I just feel like it's it's good to be honest and like, and like, screw it. Like we're all working so hard. I mean, your podcast is about how hard this is and like everybody's working hard and hustling. So, uh, so anyway, so, so, um, so I'll answer honestly and not, not hiding in the unvarnished truth. But I mean, I basically, I mean, I, I used to work day jobs all the time. I had a day job, even when I made Lebanon PA up until I shot backwards, I had a, I had a full-time day job or more than one, you know, different, lots of different things. I've been working since I was like 15. I was like washing dishes, like, you know, under off the books, like illegally. <laughs> like I've just always, I'm not from like money. I've always, I've always worked. So um, always worked gigs and jobs. When I did backwards, my second movie or my third movie, depending on you count it, um, I got paid like a directing check. Because Lebanon PA, I got paid myself a dollar, right? I worked a full-time day job, paid myself a dollar, edited the movie like nights and weekends, all that kind of stuff. Or actually days and weekends, so I was working a night job. Um, backwards let me leave that job and I haven't had to go back to a full-time job since which is great that was 2011 so it's been a decade of basically directing full-time and so I you know direct I write I edit so I've taken other gigs you know I've edited commercials I've edited um other narrative projects like other films and shorts um I've done I did a book trailer for Penguin Books like I definitely do a lot of cool gigs and stuff um but I don't, you know, some filmmakers I know, I mean, some are now like directing TV and making like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's, that's amazing. And other ones I know, you know, are, are doing, they do like branded content on the side and they have a good steady thing. I, I really focus my time on independent filmmaking. So I do a lot of weird gigs. So basically I do, I'll do video gigs. And then sometimes, I mean, like in the last few years, like I've, I've driven Uber, you know, like I've definitely, you know, I, I, I've had to hustle. It's not like I get to sit back and, and rest on my laurels, but, but I do, you know, I, I actually wrote, in the last few years, I've written three different scripts for hire for other people, which has been fantastic and, you know, getting paid for it. So that's been great. And obviously I work on my films and now I build in like some money for myself on my films. So, but I'm always, I'm always hustling. Um, and, but, you know, and then the funny thing too, is like in indie film is how much time you spend on the business side and, you know, like fundraising and promoting and stuff versus like actually making films. So I definitely too, even when I'm working on my, working on my films, yeah, often I'm lucky enough to get to like write for a day and that's great. But other times I'm doing admin and, you know, I'm doing like the books of my old, you know, I, I still do like, we're still trying to f finish the New York tax credit for what we found. And like, I'm the accountant, you know, <laughs> like, I, oh. so, so anyway, so, um, 
so I, I do spend a lot of time working on my films as a producer and and uh, as kind of the owner of the LLC versus just being like a director dreaming up stuff. So yeah, you know. But I, I also consider myself fortunate that I do get to work on my films a decent, you know, a, a good amount of my time, and that's been my full time job for ten years, which is awesome. I want to talk a little bit about um, what you said about genre because it's actually what you did is what I'm trying to do after like doing dramedies and character based pieces and personal films, I'm like, wait a second, this is not making me any money. Like I'm going <laughs> to see, I'm going to try to level up commercially in a different way. And I guess looking at your CV and just by what you said, you're very impressive, very prolific. Uh, a, do you feel like you've been consistently, consistently leveling up and B, do you think this turn into genre has helped you? It's weird. The, the business is very schizophrenic and fickle. So back when I made Lebanon PA, which was uh, came out in 2011, um, it was a total character drama. And at that point, everybody I met with, I met with some managers and agents and stuff, and they were like, oh, you know, this is great. But like, you know, you're kind of like a Tom McCarthy figure. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, he doesn't really make us any money. He's like prestige. He's like getting us Oscars. He's like, you know, so they were like, you should really kind of lean into genre and like there's no space for drama in movies anymore. But that was before the streaming boom and all the drama like series blew up. So the funny thing is, I feel like the path, one of the biggest successful paths for an indie filmmaker now is make a really cool idiosyncratic personal movie and then make a TV, make it make a series out of it for like a streamer. But that didn't exist. Yet. So the funny thing is, I feel like I pivoted. So that's all I'm saying is that I was told do something more commercial. So then I did a rising tide, which was more, it was still a character drama, but it was more of like a romance. It was a foodie movie. It's about a chef. So it was about like, beautiful food and romance set at the Jersey shore. And that was my more like my more commercial, still a drama, more commercial drama. And that actually, you know, did pretty well in certain ways. We actually turned a profit on that movie, which is like awesome. It made my, you know, made me and my investors uh, very happy and proud. Um, but it didn't make like a big splash with industry people or anything. Um, and so then what we found was me leaning into genre. And the very funny thing is once that hit the distributors and we were pitching it and stuff, the two things we heard was that it wasn't kind of, it was too mainstream, it wasn't idiosyncratic enough for like, especially, <laughs> for the especially for the festivals and some of the more like really indie distributors. And then the more mainstream people were just like, 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 I, like we got, we got somebody to watch it at Netflix through a friend, which was great. And they watched it and the, their main thing was, yeah, it's great. It's just, it's too low budget. And that's a funny thing where like, <laughs> because, you know, when, when Netflix makes like, you know, a low budget Netflix movie, like, oh, no stars. And it's like a teen movie at a high school because our movie was a teen movie at a high school. They spent $15 million. You know, our movie was. So the basic thing was they were like, oh, it's well made. Yeah, good performances. You know, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we good, good watch. But, you know, it just it just doesn't represent our it's too low budget for our brand. Um, so the funny thing is, I feel like no matter what you make, the industry tells you something kind of they want something different. And so I, I definitely this this next movie I'm writing is commercial, but is also I'm kind of going for it more and just being as personal as I can be, because I feel like in a nice way, that's one way the business has changed with streaming is people are finding more niche audiences. And so they're they're You're able to just they, they want distinct voices. And that's a positive as a filmmaker. So anyway, so I think the funny thing is, so Liz asked if I it had helped me. And I mean, the answer is is not really because each time they kind of want a different thing. It was very funny. It was like, especially the film festivals were just like, you know, because I have relationships with some of them because I've been at some of them and they were just like, oh, it was a fun watch. We really liked it. They're like, but it's just too mainstream for a festival. And then the distributors were kind of like, it's, it's so, yeah, it's without repeating myself, it's, it's a very funny thing. And mm -hmm. you definitely, you have to think about what, what will find an audience and what distributors, et cetera, want 
but also they don't really know what they want. So I think you always, it, it is true that you have to just stick to yourself and your voice and make something that, that is, that has a strong voice. And that's, you know, that, that and then hopefully that'll, it'll find its people. Do you, so, do you feel though that you are leveled up? Like what is, do you like, I know that's esoteric, but do you feel like you are? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like each movie gets better. You know, that's something I like is I, you know, I, I feel like, like I'm very proud of what we found. And I think it's, I think for, for lack of a better term, for the average person watching that movie, it's my best movie. It moves the fastest. It's the smoothest in terms of like performances. It, um, it has the most twists. It's just the most fun to watch. But I think Lebanon, PA, which is set in like rural Pennsylvania and is about a young girl who gets pregnant and is kind of deciding whether or not to have an abortion, is this very like personal film and is a little more idiosyncratic because my, my extended family is all from central Pennsylvania. So I had all these little, I wish I even had more touches. Uh, that's a whole other story about the production of that film. But, um, but you know, how these little personal touches. So I think in some ways, though, that movie still, it depends on the audience member, but like, I think indie film people, especially when they see that movie, they feel like that's my purest. I, I have friends who watch it and they go, that, that's you, that's, that's your purest movie. So, so it's funny, but I, I feel personally that I do get better with each movie. And, and that's, you know, that's a, a good feeling because you want to develop as an artist, you want to push yourself and each movie I try to push myself in a different way. And I do, I, I do feel that, you know, um, each movie gets better. Of course, whether the industry, whether people find it is a very different, a very different question, but yeah. So we're a year out of uh, what we found coming out roughly. Um, like, how has it done business wise? Like, have you gotten a return on your investment? Like, you know, has it at least proven to some extent that like genre is, you know, going to pay better than drama? Well, I think, I mean, I, again, I don't really know if that's the case anymore because, because of streaming and because of, you know, these series where, where yes, there isn't like box office, but they get viewers, they get a lot of cultural attention and streamers pay a lot for them. So, so I, I'm not saying that's totally a thesis, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of filmmaking, but um, yeah, I mean, audiences found it. I mean, we haven't, <laughs> What we found, audiences found it. We haven't made like a profit yet. Uh, obviously, that that that's going to take some time, and hopefully, we'll get there. But the first quarter was strong, and uh, we had like we estimated because it's it's hard. You don't really get you just get money numbers, and you have to extrapolate like, well, okay, like what's the sh what's the share of who's getting what share of what you know sixty percent versus forty percent, et cetera. Like who's getting what share of that dollar value? Anyway, so we have extrapolated and guessed a quarter million people or so into the movie the first quarter which is awesome for a movie with, you know, we spent a few hundred bucks on Facebook ads and I was like full-time social meeting for two months, but we didn't have a major festival. We didn't have, we were originally going to open in LA and Baltimore in theaters to, to get some press and try to drive that. Theaters were shut. So we played a few theaters in kind of like far corners, like Florida and Washington state and like Maine, like places that were open, but not like the big cities. But yet we broke through and like a quarter million people rented at the first quarter. So it, it's, you know, it has money coming in. I've already sent checks back to the investors for a, for a chunk for the first quarter. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think for an indie film, it's definitely pretty successful and on a path to hopefully keep, we, we're doing some foreign deals now. It just sold to several territories. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's getting out there and that's, you know, I'm very proud of that. It's a lot of work. And you did like, you know, orchestrated like a re-release, right? Recently, or I don't know how you worded it and your, um, but can you tell us about that? Of a rising tide? Damn it. It was a rising tide. It wasn't what it we It was thought. a rising tide. Yeah. Okay. On the show weeks ago, I, I misinformed <laughs> everyone and I was like, well, I think Ben's doing this like re-release thing and I totally swapped the titles. Okay. 
Well, so you're re-releasing Rising Tide then. That's really interesting. So a Rising Tide made money. So we had we had Seattle and then some we had a good festival run. And then um what we did is we got a foreign TV deal for a Rising Tide, which was wonderful because we basically sold it in this foreign TV package that made us back like actually we got it, she got it the elusive, we got an MG. We got an MG made back like half the budget on like you know, contra- signing the contract, half the budget back, and then over time made more. And basically it was a very good foreign TV deal. So it was on pay TV, you know, like premium cable, Sky and HBO equivalent, et cetera, around the world. Um, but it never really had much of a US release. Uh, we had a small US distributor who picked it up and basically did like some streaming stuff with it, not like Hulu and Netflix, but like, you know, streaming with ads on like Tubi and Pluto and Amazon Prime and et cetera. Um, and, and they just weren't doing much with it. So, uh, then we actually got uh, the distributor of what we found because we had a good relationship there and we were getting on so well. They were like, "We'll we'll put it out," and so they so they put it out on like a bunch of platforms just uh, last month. Uh, yeah, July came out early July. So we're still trying to promote that a bit, and it's just great because like you know it's a U.S. based movie. It's it's so a Rising Tide is because I haven't described that one yet is a love story and a foodie movie uh about a community rebuilding set after hurricane sandy in atlantic city new jersey at that time i was living in philadelphia i used to spend a lot of time down the shore again i like to set things not like in um i mean not that i never will but like outer space or new york i I like to set things in like like kind of smaller more idiosyncratic parts of america that aren't seen as film on film as often and often a place i have a personal connection to so this was set at the jersey shore and it was set after Hurricane Sandy. And I think actually it really is a great kind of parable for the COVID times. Cause it's really about how a community comes together and tries to heal and rebuild. And especially how the different strata of that, there's kind of an economic message, the different strata of that community need to, need, need to come together. And that unless every strata kind of is part of the community and engages, then the, net, the network of the community falls apart. So anyway, so that's what it's about. And uh, the, you know, the public or not the public, but like a lot of people really hadn't seen it because it's on just these few little streaming services. So now that it's on everything, I'm actually finding messages from people and stuff or like, oh, I, you know, I saw it. It was great. It was on Showtime in the U.S. So like our core, like our funders and et cetera, saw it when it was on show running on Showtime in the U.S. But a lot of people hadn't seen it. So we're finding a new audience and that's that's been really nice. Give it new life. Um. So, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, your investors on uh, what we found. This is the question I ask everybody. How did you find your investors? Like, are these people who invested in your older movies? This is like a whole new group of investors. Like, how how did this come together? I don't know if I'm repeating other people. I mean, my theory on indie film investment in the U.S., because indie film investment in the U.S. is very different from, you know, if you're in Europe or Canada, there's more established pathways. There's public funding, you know, the National Lottery in the U.K., et cetera. So then you have these more established pathways. In America, they're really... Because you know we love we love our, our freedom. There isn't really an established <laughs> pathway. You, it comes down to basically begging rich people for money. That's that, that that's the American model, uh, for lack of a better term. And luckily, you know, some 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 rich people are are, are very nice and care about the arts and um and and are interested in investing or donating to to movies. Um, and I find in general, this is a generalization, but in general, there are three ways indie films get funded. Um, first, there's the I'm in that sphere way of like, you know, someone's rich uncles, you know, it's, it's, it's the son, daughter, niece, nephew of either somebody wealthy or somebody kind of connected like a famous, you know, movie person like that. And you look at like some, et cetera. And, you know, I, I really feel like almost half the indie films or more are funded in that model. 
where, where, where someone knows someone and it's like, wow, your first move was $4 million. Where'd you get that? And it's like, yeah, you know, it was, it was aunt Janice, you know, or whatever, <laughs> uncle Ted. Um, uh, so there's that model. Then there are established production companies, uh, you know, like these awesome, you know, like killer films and, and et cetera, who, who find, who do find new voices and new talent and get movies made. And, and they're kind of the awesome, like, I don't know, Valkyries, like riding on, you know, like, like fighting for indie film. But I really feel like that's a very, very small percentage of films. Only so many of them, they only make so many films. And, um, and then also too, they tend to work with the same filmmakers. So they find some new talent. Yes, they do. But often they make, you'll see, you know, they work with the same director again and again and again. So then after that person's first film, it's really not like finding new talent. Anyway, so that's like, I don't know, 10% of films. And then I'm in that final 25, 30% of the like, I come from, you know, I know it's everybody in America says a middle class, but I, just, I come from a middle class family. I had like no family connections to money, you know, like, like, uh, so I, I just, so, so people like, like us, and I'm sure Liz is very similar, actually, just, just kind of nail it together, you know, like literally like, it's like you put the ship together piece by piece. And so I literally raise money in, you know, $2,500 chunks, five grand chunks, 50 grand chunks, hundred grand chunks. And the way I got started was my first years out of college, I was doing theater in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I lived in Philly for the first like decade after college. And I was basically doing like the Fringe Festival and, and doing local Philadelphia theater, et cetera. <clears throat> and through that, I met Philadelphia has a, a, a kind of longtime culture of philanthropy. And there's kind of like some old money there, et cetera. And people there do support the arts and these theater companies. So I, I met people through that. That basically like, you know, like I was acting in a play or like assistant directing a play and like opening night gala. You know, you have the people who like when you look in the back of the program, the like, you know, the founder circle and the et cetera, those people who like supported the arts in Philadelphia, I met some of them through that. And that was how I got started is then I, I did a first tiny movie. So if you count my movies, it's if you count, if you count me as having to do five movies, my first movie was a tiny little $10,000 movie called Cellar. Ten I know ten thousand dollars is a lot, but it's also it's not a lot for a movie. And I played some festivals and stuff, but never got released because it was just very small movie. Um, but the way I did that was some of the people who I met who who donated to theater companies, etc. We actually produced it through a theater company, but did this weird like film theater hybrid and got some donations. And that was my first experience. And then when I did Lebanon PA, um, I expanded on some of those contacts because because that that first little movie seller did well. It actually won a Barrymore Award, which is the Philadelphia Theater Awards. So it, you haven't heard of it in LA, but in Philadelphia, it's like the biggest, like one of the biggest arts things. We, we won an award, we got attention, you know, et cetera. It did well. Played the Philadelphia Film Festival, won like the best local film that year. And um, so off of that, then I started making Lebanon PA, which is another Pennsylvania based film. And that movie ended up being over 300,000. We started off trying to do it for about a quarter million. And I got some um, donations, some investments. And then Lebanon PA was, I mean, we were riding completely on the seat of our pants. I mean, a quarter of the movie was on my credit cards. So when it comes time, time to finish that movie and like sell that movie, it was like life or death. Like I had to get that movie released or I had this massive amount of debt. So, you know, it was since then, I've, I've just been always been so um, intricately involved with the movies. You know, I just I just get it done. And it's not like, yeah, I, I don't get that that angel check for like three million dollars from someone. It's never, never so, had that happen. So just to just to kind of like get into the nitty gritty of this a little bit more, it's like you met some contacts through the theater world. You made a movie. It did did pretty well and then you start you just met more people through that basically but like yeah 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 because you know because you know because 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 then then suddenly okay you're in the newspaper and like you know you're a filmmaker and then and then so through some of the money people i met other money people 
uh, also through, you know, through cold contacts. It's, it's not like they all came to me. You know, I, I was definitely, as I was making Lemon and PA, I was reaching out to everybody I could through any connection I could. So it was me seeking people out, either cold calling or emailing or kind of, yes, meeting someone through a person. And then, and then some, I, one of my investors for Lemon and PA did find me because, uh, I can't remember exactly, but we got some newspaper articles and she then contacted me. I think she, there was some kind of mutual connection, but she contacted me because she was like, I'm really interested in this. Can we talk about it? And we had lunch. And then, you know, afterwards she was like, well, I'd like to like invest in your movie. And, um, and, and that was great. But again, that, that was like a 25 grand check. You know, it's not like, um, it's not, yeah, it, it's bit right. by bit by bit is which my, my blood been paid to about two and a half years of fundraising of just chasing money and you know you get it turned down more often than you get a yes obviously i remember when you're cold, you, oh go on Mark. sorry i just when you're cold calling like like who are you cold calling like and where are you finding these people to cold call are you are you cold calling production companies like managers like or is it like actually individuals who you think may have money and may be interested in supporting the arts like like how did you find your list to like even do those cold calling emails or calls yeah, I mean, I mean, so so for that movie, especially for that size, it was it was private equity, and and literally, and this was uh, two thousand and the the wilds of two thousand and seven or eight. So it literally started with like literally a a, a a notepad, like a piece of paper, a legal pad, and I just wrote down everybody I'd met, mostly in the Philadelphia theater kind of community, but also to any anybody I'd met who had money connections to money, who who might be interested in in the arts. I just literally made made a list. And then, yeah, started, you know, uh, not cold calling like someone's, you know, home or, but kind of through emails, writing polite, you know, kind of brief, trying to be brief, you know, emails, but with, with a little bit of passion saying, you know, would you consider getting coffee with me? I'm trying to, you know, I, I, I've done this, I've won these awards in this thing, I'm trying to make a new project. I, you know, I, I, I you know, am introduced to this person, whatever, would, would you get coffee with me in chat? And, um, and, you know, you get a lot of no's and then I got a few yeses and then, you try to turn that coffee meeting into, and the main thing too is to not, I think, and I'm sure you guys have kind of heard about this too, but you know, you try to have a relationship with people. Like, you know, you can't force someone into investing in your movie and you can't, I, I always try to offer something, you know what I mean? And I know I can't offer that much, but I always try to like um, get to know the person. Usually there's a reason they have to have, there has to be a reason they want to invest because they, they know it's their investments are in stocks and real estate. They're doing this because they either care about the subject matter of your movie maybe they and this often happens they have a son or daughter who like wants to act or wants to edit or you know we definitely have people who came and like were our edit assistant or like gave a few lines in the movie like you, know, you try to involve them in a way that um and, and also sometimes too you know they, they just care about the arts and they kind of want to be involved they want to be on set they want to meet you know meet, meet the actors and see how it works and etc and you know for this person fifty thousand dollars um you know is is very similar to like if i asked my parents for like 500 bucks because like my car got you know it's just it's just they're on a different <laughs> scale it's someone of means who for them twenty five fifty thousand dollars is not is is not that a crazy amount of money so it's it's i mean i i wish there was a because this is the golden question everybody asks um and my, and my next movie i'm trying to do a bigger movie so i am trying to pitch more to production companies and it's not that i didn't pitch to production companies before but I find in indie film often there's this weird chicken egg thing where most of the production companies, where Rise and Tide went out to production companies, a lot of them basically like, you know, they want you to be 90% of the way there. They're like, well, if you have all the money and you have yeah. the actors attached and you're about to shoot, then sure, we'll fund you. Uh, but like you have, so, so in the end, I end up just kind of doing it, doing it myself, not, you know, just, just cause that's the only way it can happen. 
And, and I wish yeah. there was a better answer, like be like, yes, you know, you go to this book and there's a list of names and there's a process, right. but that's, that's what I'm saying about America. There isn't any process. It is just going out and bit by bit for me anyway. Um, I mean, maybe there is once you get to like, you know, production companies and you're doing a $5 million movie and, and you have a, a manager who's like, I don't know, I'm sure there is, but so far in my career, it's been by any means necessary bit by bit. And I just want to say really quickly that like I did the exact same thing. And I think that that is the game plan. That is the process is like write down a list of everyone, you know, who has money and then just start there and branch out. And I tell that to people and they look at me with a blank face, like really? And I'm like, yeah, really? It'll take you like three or four years, but eventually you'll get there. Well, I just remember, Ben, that like a few years ago, you uh, very kindly met me, I think, at work. And I was like, please tell me the secret of your ways. And you 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 shared the story. And I remember I was like, you just you just ask them for money. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you develop a relationship, (laughs) but you are direct with what you need. And it was mind blowing to me that you would just say exactly what you needed in a conversation. And um, and I think a lot of people are fearful of saying what they want in in those kind of scenarios. They don't want to offend. They don't want to burn bridges. And there's something very scary about it. So I'm just, if you can kind of speak to that, because I'm sure you've also had to answer this question before too. It's like, how do you get past the barrier of just saying, I need the support. I need the money to someone like that. Well, again, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone anyone who hasn't already done this in some capacity, you know, it's someone who's invested in another movie or has, you know, they already donate, you know, a hundred grand a year to X theater company, et cetera, because, you know, they have the means and they care about the art. So, so for me, it was never this kind of extraordinary thing. And, 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 you know, as in, it was like coming out of nowhere. And like I said, you try to develop a relationship first, you know, it's people who, and and once you're doing the first one is the hardest because then you have no track record and you also have no, like some of the people I met for my later films, I met, you know, through other films. So like, then, you know, th- then you're at, you're at the Philadelphia Film Festival, for instance, in Philadelphia, or at, I didn't meet anybody at South by Southwest, but an example would be you're at South by Southwest and you're chatting at the after party with someone and it's like, oh, you know, this person invested in that film. Oh, well, I made this film. And they were like, oh, I saw that. I loved it. I mean, th- there's a natural thing there where if they're already into this in general, they're into film, they love cinema, they've already invested in things. And now you're at this, like, again, this didn't happen at South by, I wish it had, you know, but you know, that's a natural thing. So it's become more natural. Um, At the beginning, it was, it was, but then again, like I said, you know, my first movie I did for $10,000. So that, that was, and that, that's a lot of money, but in some ways that that was a few uh, donations of like 2,500 bucks. Like, and then some, like, I literally threw a fundraising party where it was like, you know, 50 bucks a pop. People came pay 50 bucks. And like, I had, you know, beer and, and I, 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 you know, we, we did a little show and stuff, but, um, so again, like a big spectrum, but the point was I, I already did that. And that then proved I could do this. I did it. There was a finished film. I could give you a DVD. It had won awards for Philadelphia, a major award. It had won like, you know, this major award. Um, we'd gotten like stories in the Philadelphia city paper and mentions, you know, in the inquiry, like we, so, so then, so I don't know. So, so it is building, it's, it's proving you can do it. It's then convincing someone with your passion that you have a vision for this thing, but you have to find people who are already interested in this and have some some kind of reason to want to be involved. And then, yes, it's about like if you meet someone, the first thing you say is, you know, hey, give me a check for fifty thousand dollars. That's never going. You have to kind of, you know, 
So again, if someone has a natural interest, and that's what I mean, I try to, I, I don't mean it in a cynical way. I'm not trying to manipulate. I really try to give them something because I, you know, I, I know that it's, um, um, that's kind of what they want out of it. So, so very often I try to find what that person wants. And, you know, sometimes it's an issue. Like I care about, I actually didn't find anyone for Lebanon PA who was like, I am so strongly pro-choice. I, I want to see a movie made about this, but you know, that would have been a natural thing of someone being like, I care about this issue. Um, I think, I think the, the one woman I mentioned who I met, you know, I think she probably, when she read the script, she probably responded to that. You know, I think she probably liked that, but we didn't really discuss that as like the main reason. The main reason was she, had kind of you know loved movies and never had never been on a set before and kind of thought it'd be fun to be a part, part of it you know and and she I, I definitely have a lot of investors who I think honestly never read the whole script they might read a little packet maybe they read a page I don't know you know um and they maybe come by set once or they never come at all you know she was someone who she was on set almost every day she was you know there and was a part of it um and so there was a natural reason why she wanted to do this you know and she was you know someone who was I don't think she wasn't as wealthy as some of my investors you know but she she was like um retired and then like her 60s and you know it was kind of a fun thing to do and she had she had the means where you know that investment wasn't a crazy thing to do um and then that was her like fun summer like hanging out with us on the film set and she came to south by southwest and everything so you know well anyway um, so th that answer your question sorry i i i feel like i'm talking but it, but it literally there isn't so in in a half an hour lunch conversation it's about having a conversation with them as a person and there isn't like one magic moment where i it's just kind of having a natural conversation that at some point saying saying, okay, well, I, I know you're interested in this. I have this project, I've explained it to you and this is why I, I really feel it's important. And this is, you know, an important maybe message, an important story. This is our, our path to how we think we can do it. And, you know, would you consider, and then you just ask the question, would you consider investing $25,000? And then you see what they say, you know, well, and they either say yes, no, or maybe. <laughs> I think what would console people is if you just say, or I mean, I don't want to lead you on, but uh, if you just say whether you ever horrifically offended someone or it blew up in your face or it ever went very poorly just saying exactly <laughs> what you wanted not really but yeah i mean <laughs> there, there, I, I i can only think of one example i can only think of one example and i don't want to go into it because in case don't, i don't want to like offend that per person but that's but like, one out of like many so it yeah. sounds like the odds are fairly good and and, and you do i mean you a people are usually kind of flattered again you have to do this but you can't just ask up front you have to kind of talk with the person develop a relationship um and then usually people are kind of flattered and then you also you target your asks right so if it's someone who's really wealthy then maybe you are asking for depends on the scale of your movie a hundred grand or you know a million dollars you know or if it's someone who's not you know that wealthy but you but you know they have someone like i said then maybe it's ten thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars whatever it is and um and so you know in that way too if if you are showing I, th I, th I think if I think if they know you're coming at it from an honest place where you really care about this thing and because pe people respond to ambition, you know, I think people respond to this sense of here's a young, not that I'm so young anymore. Here's a young person who's passionate and trying to do something. And yeah, and so it can't hurt to ask. And I, I really think you have to think about how you do it. And I think I think do it with an open heart. I guess that that's my which is esoteric, but I think is true is if you're doing it in kind of like a you expect something way or in a in a, I don't know, if, if you're weird about it, it'll get weird. But if you ask with an open heart and you're just like, I really care about this, would you please consider uh, being a part of this, being a part? And then always, too, I always offer them to be a part of it. A lot of them don't come to set, but I'm always like, come, I don't say just give me money. I, I say, you know, come be a part of this thing. And I mean that, that you know, they're part of the family because they're another, just like the crew and the cast and, you know, the investors are part of the family. And I try to involve them as family. I think come on set, then come to the premiere, you know, um, I try to involve them in the same way I involve other people. 
Yeah. This is like, you're basically saying the exact same thing I would say if someone asked me the question. So it's like, <laughs> it's really comforting to hear that. It's like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything different than anyone else. Like this is what you have to do. <laughs> you know? um, but then there is that tough question of scaling up because, because that's right. the tough thing is, you know, certain people know people who can write $5 million checks and a lot of us don't. So then the question is how you scale up. And that's, that's a whole other question. Um, I have one last question before we go to final five, but Auric, do you, you go first. Liz. Okay. Um, you're having a baby soon. Um, I am. you, it's coming out of you and, um, Auric <laughs> just had a baby and oh, it's congrats. been a topic. He came out of him awesome. too. And, um, <laughs> this has been a topic as of late, the idea of a uh, balance is a myth, but how do you prepare? And then, you know, what's your plan? Can you talk a little bit about your plan? man get get the get as far as i can on this new movie before the baby comes um is is right now my my kind of panic plan um i mean you know you know much better than me because you guys are doing it i'm not doing it yet um i think i'm probably over i have a lot of friends who say and actually liz is one of those friends who said like it is possible you just focus you get stuff done you have time with her napping you have time with your partner what you know whatever um because right now i'm panicking that i'm never gonna have any time you know uh so I'm trying to relax and think, okay, there'll be, there'll be some time. Um, but obviously too, you're devoting a lot of your energy to this, to this little creature. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what will happen. I'm trying to get this movie to a certain goalpost. I'm trying to get an active development before the kid's born. So then we can keep pushing it forward. But like, I have the production team on, I, you know, we have some first money raised. We're kind of getting it moving. So that's what I'm trying to work on right now on my new film. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm praying to, to God uh, and to Joe Biden for this infrastructure plan, because honestly, it makes such a difference. Like, you know, childcare is a big thing. Like if, you know, child, we have friends who pay like 2,800 bucks a month for childcare in LA, right? So that's like another mortgage. So, you know, if we can 28? find a place. Yeah. Is that for two children? Because that, that's nope. insane for one. Oh my that's, God. That's for one, but you know, whatever. I mean, I'm sure they're So anyway, so if we, if we end up finding <laughs> some, 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 something that's, you know, I just kind of do the math in my head of like, okay, if we find a place that's more like, Two grand or eighteen hundred. I mean, if you guys know some places, start mine's getting me twelve, names. but it's it started out at sixteen and an infant. I'm just saying, like I I got you in terms I, of my daycare. It's I'm just saying I'm just saying it's crazy, but I'm saying you know if it's we nuts. if we if we can then pay whatever it is eighteen hundred whatever, but then we're getting five or six hundred bucks a month from the government, you know, because they're talking about in this infrastructure bill. Of have, I mean, it's literally this infrastructure bill stuff. We're talking about movies, but it's 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 really life or death. It's especially I mean, and you look at like filmmaking, that makes such a difference. Because then, okay, then we get down to like 1200 or so a month, that that seems doable, you know, that's like, okay, so then we can have childcare and we can focus on work. Um, when it's 2800, it just seems like, God, that's so much, right. it's rough. So, so, so we're hoping for childcare, we're going to support each other. Um, my wife, luckily, she works for UCLA, and they have a decent amount of, you know, maternity, etc. So, you know, uh, we're kind of taking it as it goes in the first few months, she'll be off for the first like three months, at least. Um, so uh, she'll be here. I'll be here. We'll be figuring it out. And, and, you know, and, and, and I don't know, but I, I think the long-term goal is just, I see people who, who are doing it, who are having a kid and still having a career. And so I'm going to try to figure that out and do the same thing. And I'm excited to have a kid. So I don't want to, you know, go into it thinking, oh man, it's either, or I feel like that's not a choice we should have to make as filmmakers, as artists, as people. So I'm going to try to find a balance, but yeah, I, you know, you're asking the wrong guy. Cause I haven't had the kid yet. So ask me like next year <laughs> and I'll let you know how it's going. Um, I came up with a final question. Um, you know, you've raised money for five feature films. Does it get easier? Was it easier to raise money for the fifth 
than it was for the second, for instance. Yes, but scaling up is a big question. So this next movie I, I want to do for a few million dollars, like just because I because because of that Netflix. I mean, a because this is a bigger story. I'm, I'm doing a, a climate change movie that um, I feel like is is the best thing I've written, and I feel like is an important story to get made. But it's 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 a bigger story, so it takes a little more money. So there are story reasons why, but also career wise, that that Netflix answer of oh you made a great movie, good job, but you know it, it it's not big enough. It, it doesn't cost enough. It doesn't look big enough. You know you only have like three extras in that scene. You should have a hundred. You know like that kind of stuff means also career wise that is the next step. And so that's my next question is I, I could probably again go out with my contacts and raise a similar type budget, but how do I get to like? Five million, or you know, whatever. Um, we're still trying to figure out exactly how much we need for this movie. That's the next question, and uh, and that and that's what I'm trying to work with. I'm trying to work with some other more established producers or production companies to kind of make this next movie happen. Um, so, so yes, it gets easier, but 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 it's not easier for me. I feel like actually this next movie could, in some ways, be the hardest one to do because I have to find this path to to a bigger budget, and that that's a new beast. Wow, awesome. Uh, yeah, let's do final five. I'll go first. Um, what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? First film I ever made. Okay. First feature or non-feature? Can be anything. I'm going to do first feature. The first feature I made was called Tough Cookies 3. I shot it junior, senior year of high school. It is a feature film. We shot on SVHS. That's super VHS for, mm-hmm. for you young people. Uh, had a slightly better uh, uh, resolution or something. Not mm-hmm. a bit, yeah, just a little bit, just, just a little bit better. Yeah, it's like what they use in broadcast at, at the time. So we shot it on SVHS. I edited it deck to deck, and I'm really proud of it. And it was, it's basically there was a superhero team called the Tough Cookies. It's a long story. Clyde Sugarwater, Duncan Hines uh, were some of the characters. <laughs> I was Clyde Sugarwater, and it was basically me and my friends um, putting on bad kind of uh, costumes and. Uh, and and fighting bad guys and crazy enough so we and it was a feature film I mean we shot this whole thing it, 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 it was a big project we shot in our high school obviously pre-Columbine this is just a few years before Columbine um we had toy guns we had a dummy we had this one dummy that we threw and, and luckily our, our our school was supportive so our our vice principal Tanner thank you Jay Tanner, he let us shoot in this high school while there was like cleaning it for the summer. So we're like running down the hallways, like you know, using a skateboard dolly, like me, like on the skateboard with the camera, like running down the hallway, doing action scenes, doing really bad fake kung fu. We had this one dummy that we threw off every time a person got, we threw it off the roof of the high school. So like anytime a, a guy got like kind of stabbed or shot or like thrown off the building or something, it was this dummy. We ran over with a car. Um, it was crazy. And it was, you know, um, in some ways, you know, awful, but in some ways the best thing I'll ever make because it was so pure. No lights, no, we, we literally had a boom mic t- duct taped to the end of a, I think one of those old yardstick rulers, like a full yardstick. <laughs> and like with like a cord that went into the camera for like dialogue scenes when we needed like goods audio. And then we unplugged that when we were doing action stuff. No lights, nothing else. And, uh, and it's awesome. And now I want to watch it right now. <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Oh man. <clears throat> I interned with This Is That in 2003, which is a very formative experience. And that was um, Ted Hope, Anthony Bregman, and Ann Carey were the three producers. It was a remnants of what was Good Machine, which was my Good Machine was my like mecca in the 90s. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is this, th- these are the kind of movies I want to make. And this is, 
they, they had a good machine. This is the, they had a lot of integrity and a good ethos. Anyway, so I interned with This Is That, which was kind of the remnants of Good Machine. I met Ang Lee there, who was probably my favorite director, Michel Gondry. They were doing Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind at that point. They, they did that movie. And um, what was so interesting with that is I've always been kind of this lone cowboy, as I was like describing. And uh, they had found this really good core group of collaborators. And they basically were like, and I think part of the, part of the message or advice doesn't hold up as well in this day and age, but it, but it should, it should, if the world was, was right. They said like, find good people and find a good place. And the place is the part that maybe doesn't hold up as well because they had this office and like people would just stop by, you know, like, like Michel Gondry stopped by for a meeting and like, there was this sense of community and the sense of, um, of, of, of this filmmaking culture that it's just, it wasn't a scene like in a cool way, but it was just a literal place where amazing people came in every day. And now we're all virtual and zooming and all, you know, split apart. But I think in some ways, I wish we get back to that. And also office space is expensive, but basically they, they had a place and they had good people in that place. And like, I remember Ted Hope said, um, Ted Hope had worked with James Seamus a lot. And some people don't know who James Seamus is. He ran focus features for years. Um, but, um, he was like, we met in, they had met at NYU and he was like, I knew like when I first started talking to this guy that he was smarter than me, but he kind of thought I was smarter than him. So we each thought we were smarter than each other. So the great thing was whenever we had an idea, I would run it by that other person. We would bounce ideas of each other. And if we both knew it was a good idea, we knew it was like a good idea. Do you know what I mean? And, and so that, that partnership, that, so basically find good collaborators and find a good place or vibe, I think is really, really true. Cause an indie film, you're, you're, you don't, we don't have money. So our biggest commodity is people. And, and, um, and you're always searching for good people to work with. And that's what will help elevate, A, get your thing made and B, elevate it to something, something awesome. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? You know, it changes with time. Like um, I used to want to make, you know, giant movies. And uh, I mean, one goal is just direct Star Trek. I, you know, I, I was a young nerd. I loved <laughs> Star Trek so much. Someday I want to direct something Star Trek. Um, but as you get older, it, you know, it does change a bit. And um, I think right now, especially about, about to have a kid, I just want to be happy in what I do, treat people well, make good projects that that have integrity, both like in what they're saying and with the message they're putting out there and kind of the story they're telling and that move people, but also have integrity in terms of the way they're made and the people you work with. So I basically just want to like uh, make good stuff, work with good people and have enough money to just like, you know, the basics of life, like feed my kid, put my kid through school, like, like have a house, you know, it's really simple stuff, but like that, that is what I want to do. And like, I'd almost rather work on, um, you know, uh, I'd love to do, I mean, right, right now, like, I think my favorite thing to do, I, I, I'm making a movie, so I want to make movies, but it, compared to making some $200 million movie is more like, like make a really great series for a streamer on like a smaller budget, but that we know is like really great and moves people. I mean, the, the most beautiful thing I've seen probably on screen in the past, like during COVID for me was, was normal people. I just love normal people so much. And it was so simple. It's mostly two people in a room and it's just, it was just so beautiful. So, um, because it just felt so real and it just, it just, it felt like real life. And I, you know, I kind of cried every episode. So, so yeah, so, so I, I think, making good stuff, doing it well, and then having the basic necessities of life <laughs> are kind of the, the main goals and direct Star Trek. Um, if you could go back in time, what's the piece of advice you would give yourself? Funny enough, it's a funny balance, right? Um, 
people say they don't want egoman egomaniac directors. And I've tried to take that to heart. I'm in general a nice guy, a nice person. So I, I in general, really try to be collaborative and listen. I think in overall, that's a really good thing. But the one thing that I, Monday morning quarterback, or the one thing that I go back and kind of kick myself for are some decisions where I really felt something in my gut as the director but to be a good person and to work with the team and not be, you know, an egomaniac director, I was like, okay, okay. And I thought about it and I said, okay, let's, let's find a middle ground. Let's, let, let, let's either compromise or, or let's do what you say, other member of the team, which overall you think is a really good instinct. And it really, it really is. It's a good thing to be, but, but there's a reason, you know, James Cameron made like, there's a reason sometimes you have to like, be that crazy director. Sometimes you do know. And basically, I can think of several calls where I compromised and I really wished I hadn't because once the movie was finished, I knew if I had just done what I knew in my gut was right, even though the crew would have kind of grumbled or like, you know, I would have had to, I don't know, it, it, it would have been better. So I, so I really feel like you should be collaborative. You should be, you know, discuss. That's a lot of the, the strength your team brings to the movie is obviously their perspective and their skills and, and et cetera. But you in the end are the director of your project and you have a vision. And when you know something in your gut is right, I think you should stick to that kind of all the way because they're, 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 there's a reason that's there, you know, and, and I, I'm often a writer director. So maybe it's a bit different too when you're adapting something or like you're directing TV and you're working, obviously you're working with a, a showrunner and a writing team, but especially when you're a writer director, just nobody knows the material better than you. You've lived with it for so long. And just when you have that feeling in your gut, I think really go for it. Cause there are several times where I've outthought my gut and more often than not, I regret having done that. I love that advice. Cause I felt that way after I'm just finishing up my first feature. And I felt that like, I listened to people too much and like, there were some times where I should have, and it was good that I conceded, but in some instances, I definitely should have just done what I wanted to do, what I had written for four years. It's like, that was there for a reason. Don't change things last minute. I mean, some things I did change last minute were great, but don't change everything. Anyways. Well, 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 and, and, I would, and I would say too, the, the way you know, the way you know in your gut is if you have an answer, right? Is if someone, if a crew member, you know, the DP, whoever comes to you and says, well, why should it be that way? The instances I'm, instances I'm thinking about, I had an answer. Mm -hmm. And I maybe even said, I maybe even said the answer. And I said, I said, I think it should be this way because of this. And I was like, but okay, let's. So if, if you have an answer, if you can answer the question, then I think follow that. If you don't have an answer, but just like, well, just because I said so, then yeah, maybe, maybe maybe that's not the thing. But kind of like you're saying, when you live with it for four years and you know, no, this is the reason that scene should be that way. This is the reason this beat needs to hit this way. Uh, and you have that answer, you know, trust that. And then final question, is making movies hard? <laughs> yes, but it's it's hard, it's painful, and there's sacrifice. But occasionally it's it's wonderful. And uh, and I what, what was I was just thinking of somebody, I can't remember what the example was. There was an example of this and I forgot, but it doesn't matter. The thing is it does live beyond you. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about making a movie is you're doing something, again, who knows if people will watch it because like 90% of the movies before 1940 are lost or whatever, right? But you know, ideally you make this thing that has a life beyond you and you put all this blood and sweat into it. But then like, I hope now, like Lebanon PA is about a, was made, over 10 years ago, and it's about a, a young girl considering getting an abortion in central Pennsylvania. And just my, and back when it was in the festival run, I would have people come up to me, young women up to like 50 year old women who would come up afterwards and kind of after the Q and A and just say like, like, you know, thank you for making that film. I had an experience like that. And I just, you know, and I loved your film. And I just, I hadn't really 
talked about or I hadn't really, this, this helped me process it in a way. And all I can hope is that, you know, hundred years from now, but even just like, you know, now somebody finds it on iTunes, some, you know, teen girl or some, somebody finds this movie and watches it and it speaks to them. And that's kind of the amazing magic of it that, that I'll never even meet that person, but it spoke to them and meant something to them. And that's, that's, that's why we do it. Right. So that's, you know, it is hard, but occasionally it's worth it. Thank awesome. you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yay. We're Thanks done. Okay. Me. I'm going to press. Oh, I, sorry. Wait, really quickly. Yes. How can people support you best? Sell your wares. So, yes. Uh, my website for our production company is reconstructionpictures.com. You have links to lots of things there, reconstructionpictures.com. Uh, the movies are Lebanon PA, which is all these movies are on most of the services. So you got your Vudu, your iTunes, your Google Play, your uh, YouTube, you know, et cetera, either for rental or, or free. You can, you know, search in your Roku. <clears throat> I know Lebanon PA is streaming a bunch of places for free, but Lebanon PA, as in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, uh, a rising tide is it was just re-released as liz mentioned on many <laughs> services it's even still on some cable providers right now it's on like your on-demand box it's on digital all these things are also on dvd lebanon pa is a beautiful blu-ray for you you very few collectors out there the blu-ray is the best edition of any of my movies it's beautiful and then my new movie is what we found and um starring elizabeth mitchell and james ranson and uh some other great people and um yeah, please just check out the movies. And then the final thing I'll say is if, if you like the movies, uh, you know, get in touch. I'm, I'm, I'm very much here. So, you know, you can always drop a line on the Reconstruction Pictures website and be like, hey, I saw your movie and I loved it or I hated it or whatever. Because uh, like I said, the reason we make it is to connect is to have people respond to it. So I always love to hear what people think if you check it out. But please check out the movies. They're good movies. Got some... They're all solid Rotten Tomatoes, except for Lebanon PA, which is 50-50. And, and like I said, it deals with a divisive issue, and it's a divisive movie in some ways. I think that's a big reason why it is so split, because I think in some ways it actually we got a great New York Times review, but um, it's a divisive movie in America. But that's also kind of a good thing. That's funny that it's exactly 50-50. It's you literally like unrotten. 50, 55%, 44%, whatever, 50-50. That's hilarious. And, and if you go read, well, the IMDb reviews are the most, are, are, and the Amazon reviews are a great example of that because there's a lot of like four or five star and a lot of one star. And you can just tell it basically, you know, not always. You can criticize the movie on its own merits, but it mostly comes down to somebody's view on on on, on abortion and, and legal abortion. And uh, there are a lot of people who hate the movie for that reason who are very vocal mm on uh on these things so if you feel that way then you know then then great and if you if you if you don't and you want to check the movie out and maybe give it a good review you can also do that <laughs> uh so liz what do you remember about our conversation with ben i remember we talked a lot we talked a lot about financing and then when we stopped recording i remember ben asked us like did we talk too much about financing and fundraising? And like you and I, that's like, I think I'm going to speak for you for a second and you correct me. It's like my favorite topic. Like it's, I always want to hear how people get the money. So I never think it's too much. And Ben is a lovely human, a friend, and I just enjoy, I just enjoy talking to him in general. And after you got off, I think we talked for like another half hour, just me and Ben and just shooting the shit. Oh, so wow. It was a good chat. Nice. Yeah, Ben's great. Um, I really liked that part of the conversation because, um, you know, it was like this really affirming sort of thing because his process is very much my process 
uh, for fundraising or was my process the one time I, I raised money for my feature and it was really interesting to hear that like this guy who's done it multiple times does it basically the same way I do it and will continue to do it roughly the same way that I do it you know and, and, it, and it seems like as he has gone along in his career it's gotten a little easier to raise money so that was like really encouraging it's like oh by my fifth film it might be a little easier than it was on my first film you know I mean obviously there's an uphill battle there but still I, I thought it was encouraging um so yeah I don't know I mean uh, yeah Ben's great I liked his movie too it was really cool I watched it like last year when it came out for his Q&A thing that we did and uh yeah I don't know I'm I'm sort of surprised that you know it did how it did i thought it would have a better have landed better than it did based off how the quality of the movie well we'll we'll see i don't remember honestly actually i don't remember how it did. i i don't even know like i just think of him as like an impressive filmmaker and i actually haven't like broken that down into specific efforts that he's made so i think regardless of how it landed like the sum is worth more than the the whole is worth more than the sum of the parts yeah i mean correct me if i'm wrong listeners or ben yourself if this is different but i mean i remember from the conversation that like you know he had made this switch to genre and like kind of hoped that it would like break open these new doors for him and that like it did but like not really as much as he was expecting based off of the switch you know of going from you know whatever these indie dramas he was making to like more of a genre film that it wasn't like genre enough you know like it was still too much of a drama you know to really break into that market in the, in the way that he wanted i think it was still did well it just didn't do like it didn't like the doors didn't bust open the way they expected but i mean i guess it goes back to what you said last week about like you know our expectations as filmmakers are never within reality like we always expect movies to do far better than they're going to and it's like maybe that was just the reality for that film and maybe i don't know maybe it, i think it probably is like a smashing success it's just hard to know what that means these days i was thinking about this today actually um i was thinking that i think people in the film industry must be attracted to gambling in some way like I actually really do not like gambling just because I I've never learned card strategy or game theory or anything like that so I'm just like a mess when I'm playing a game I'm just like randomly like making decisions that have followed no logic <laughs> but I think that there must be some sort of attraction to risk or unpredictability or whatever's at the core of gambling that it that brings in a lot of investors as well as filmmakers because I'm attached to these projects and they're out to different companies and it's like it feels like I'm literally playing roulette and just waiting to see what hits and it's very strange the kind of magical thinking you get into when you're in these pitching processes right it's like that's ridiculous for me to just send something out and expect something to come back that's irrational but it's this like gambling mentality of like maybe something will hit maybe it'll tip um anyway i think that goes back to what i said a few weeks ago which was what you referred to which is what i call um uh filmmaker delusion and i think that we all have to have a degree of it to be in this crazy industry yeah I, I do like gambling. I'm not, like, a big gambler or anything, but, like, you know, I'll play, like, whatever, $5, $10 poker games with my friends or whatever, and I, I play online poker for free without any money attached to it, and I love it. It's, it's great. I, play, I bet on football, you know, so I definitely feel like I'm part of that oh. part of it. 
know, like, not that I'm gambling on my movies necessarily, but I like the excitement that it's like you're making something that's like really cool and that you love so much. And then it's like always that what if, like, whoa, maybe it'll, maybe people will love it. Maybe it'll like really resonate with a lot of people. Maybe it'll be the thing that, you know, skyrockets my career or opens up even one door, you know, it's like, yeah, but I think now what's happened over the years of making short films, it's like my expectations are a lot smaller. It's like, like I'm not like oh, I'm not hoping to like you know land a Marvel movie from this or anything. Like I'm just hoping to like have a meeting with somebody. Yeah. Like if this movie gets me one meeting, that's a humongous success. Isn't that amazing? You know that. Like, but I agree. <laughs> I'm in the same place where I'm just like. Um, is, does my bio look better after I make this movie? <laughs> like, the bio right. on my website, like, is it, is it more impressive? Okay, cool. Then I think it's a good decision. Like the stakes are low, but um, but the risk is high. Uh, well, I'm going to use that as my segue yeah. to Arik. What do you want to talk about today in our soap dish segment? Uh, so first question. Um, I mean, this is going to be a humble brag and a question. So since our last. Uh, episode i've gotten into three more film festivals with, with alternate you know raise the roof I mean, it feels very good now now i can't even be like fake that like you know the movie's not doing okay it's like yeah you've gotten into you know over 10 film festivals yes. like yes you're doing all right this is pretty good um hopefully there's more but if it ended right now i'd be like yeah all right this is good um so about half of them are doing live screenings yeah. um I definitely can't go to all of them, but um, I'm trying to decide like which ones to go to and like how important it is to go to film festivals because in my mind, like film festivals are pretty much only wor worth it if you can go or that's how I used to think. But I'm not sure if that's true anymore necessarily, especially with virtual film festivals. It's like half of them you can't even go to anyways. But I just want to talk to you about like, like how important do you think it is to actually go to these film festivals that you get into? Not to be a broken record, but I'm going to talk about my cheapness again in this episode, which is if a festival's not offering me something that's going to make it very easy on my pocketbook to travel and attend, then I do not go. Um, unless mm -hmm. it's such a great opportunity that I'm willing to invest the money in, right? And I think those that's always the the gray area is like, what's good enough of an opportunity for you to spend money? Um, but I always get something out of a film festival. Like I always get email addresses, relationships. I can remember um, when I volunteered at the Mill Valley Film Festival, I still remember like the experiences and the connections and the networking I did there. And that was me putting my money forward and donating my labor. But it's all about triage. What do you want to do with your time? So are these festivals offering any sort of stipend, housing, travel? Yeah. I need, I need to ask um, all of them, basically, if that's happening or not. I know that Dances with Films is not. They were very clear right. on that. I asked them that question. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I have to ask the other ones if they are. And, and two of them, which I, I don't think I can announce either one yet, but they're both international. And so it's like, okay, like, can I go to this country? Like, I would love to go to this place. <laughs> it's amazing. It's incredible. Right. But, uh, you know, it's like... Can I even get my passport renewed on time? And then, like, you know, can I go? Which I'm, like, sending my passport off today just in case I can go. Nice. Just, like, take care of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all it's all tough. But, I mean, I, I kind of feel like that's sort of part of what you do. And it's not necessarily – you're not going to the film festival to, like, oh, my God, I'm going to meet this agent. Oh, my God, I'm going to meet this, 
you know, person that's going to change my life, this producer or whatever. It's more like you're going to like connect with the festival and connect with the filmmakers, you know, right. and just like meet new people and kind of, you know, expand yourself as an artist. Because I think like you learn a lot, you grow a lot when you go to a festival and especially international festival. It's like, oh my God, like the kinds of movies I'm going to see there are going to be so different than what I'm used to seeing, you know, here in, in America. And like also just like in mass media, you know, like the kinds of things that are going to get programmed at a genre film festival in, you know, another country are going to be interesting for sure. I love how positive you are about that. I just think I've had enough really bad experiences at film festivals where I'll go by myself. I don't know what I'm doing. There's no one overseeing a Q&A with me. Um, you know, I have no transportation. Like, basically, where I'm just, like, paying for a vacation where I don't get to choose the agenda. And I didn't get to choose the country or the state or the city. You know, I just think I've had some bad experiences. And I think you got to think to yeah. yourself, like, it sounds romantic to be flown out to... I don't know. I actually don't know where these festivals are, so I'm just going to pick a random country. Being flown out to Poland or being flown out to Spain right. or whatever it is, um, it sounds romantic because you're like, wow, they want me, and it's far away, and it's exotic, and it's interesting. But, like, if you were not planning to go to that place and if that festival doesn't have the resources to support you, they don't have the resources to make it a good substantial time either, I don't think. So that's what the so it's right. not just a cheapness question. It's more like how organized is this film festival, and are you going to be stuck right. in another country, lost and confused, or are you going to get your money's worth for the submission fee and for the investment? Right. Yeah. You know, I've I've had plenty of bad film festivals experiences too. I mean, I've only gotten with, with a short so far, but like, you know, like when you go to a place that you travel to and there's like whatever five to ten people in the theater with you. It's like that can be a kind of a defeating experience, but like, you know, if you meet one person, you make one friend, or you see one movie that's interesting from going to that festival, I feel like that kind of makes up for those sorts of things for me. I mean, because you, you can't control it. Like, you can do as much advertising and press and talking about your screening on social media, but like, you know, you're only going to be able to get so many people to come, you know, to your screenings, right. right? Especially if it's in a town that you don't know anybody in, you know, like if you're in the middle of America and you're like, okay, I might have three Facebook friends who are near this place. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, you just got to go and you're kind of, you're, you're surrendering yourself to the festival programmers. You're saying, I'm coming. You let them know that you're coming and you're trusting that they're going to take care of you and that the screening is going to be worth your time you know and i've been to enough where it was that i feel like yes i will definitely continue to go and just hope that i pick the right ones you know i'm gonna have to recommend one film that i think is well worth everyone's time it's called official rejection and it's uh, mm. made by paul osborne and he's kind of like a well-known indie film filmmaker and he made a movie about being rejected by film festivals for, I think, his first feature. Um, I'm not positive. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but this movie makes you feel better. It makes you feel less lonely. It makes you feel... And, and there's like... It turns around. It's not just like him being rejected. It's like some festivals accept him and he goes... He takes you with him on his journey to these different film festivals and it's through there that I heard about Phoenix Film Festival for the first time which is my favorite film mm. festival because mm. they really love 
filmmakers and they treat you well and they take care of you, but they're also just like kind people. But in that film festival, it's like the worst case scenario is shown where I think he gets invited to this film festival and it's like a small AV closet in an unmarked building (laughs) with like no one else there. And even the projectionist is not there. And you're just like, Oh, I, yeah. Similar things have happened Mm -hmm. to me. Um, I just would encourage everyone to check it out if you're going through film festival hell. Yeah, I went to one. I can't remember where it was, but I it was like I got there and they were like, "Yeah, uh, we we lost your Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, like we don't we can't play your movie." And then like luckily, like I had made a, a habit of keeping DVDs and Blu-rays of my oh, movie good. in my car with good. me because I heard that this could happen. And then I had one and they were able to play it. But it's like you know that's the last thing you want to worry about is like you're you're like can see your movie with an audience and you're like oh my god I don't even have the movie like oh my that's that's why I worry about the technical parts of it because it's like uh. anyways um, that's so, crazy. so the next thing I want to talk to you about was um, you know anxiety about premiering your movie you've had two features premiere you know um, you've also made other movies and like I I've always get a little bit of anxiety it's usually on the first screening is the worst it's like whenever it's being shown to the people for the first time it's like I I, I mean I can barely it's just it's really hard you know and I, I'll sit in the theater and I'll watch it but like sometimes I put a hood over my head or something or like sink down in the seat but like how do you deal with anxiety and like this feeling of like panic when you're approaching the release of your movie um, I, uh, what will come to, um, what is that a phrase where it's like, it's going to come, I'm going to be confronted with this as a major problem at some point later in my life. It'll come to a head for me is I fill my anxiety and I channel it to busyness. So what I do <laughs> is I create things before the screening that keep me busy. So I don't have a massive panic attack. So like before each of my screenings, I would go out and greet everyone and I'd give them the merch that I brought or cookies or I just thank them for coming to the screening and I shake each of their hands like you would I'd go out there instead of sitting in the audience freaking out right and then I'd run mm-hmm. in and I'd sit in the back or I'd go and I do the intro so I'd say the first thing is the anxiety is probably going to be it's worse right before the movie starts so maybe find yourself something to do during that time um, and I think the other thing is, so what do you do? Yeah, you you just find other things to think about. <laughs> you make yourself so busy <laughs> that you can't confront or deal with any of this anxiety. This is not good advice. This is very unhealthy coping mechanisms. <laughs> they, they are not good. Um, but it's what I do. You could sit in it and you could recognize and tell yourself, you know, that this will be over soon. You could write it down and memorialize how you feel. You can do podcasts about it. But (laughs) I find that, or you go for hikes, you channel all your extra energy out. I just don't, I think you recognize that like, this is part of the thrill of filmmaking is that nervousness. And it's also why you do it, right? Like, what the alternative is you being bored. So isn't it a little bit better to be nervous (laughs) than bored? Yeah. My my nervous is is a little bit different than yours because it's like it, it's it's not the worst it's gonna be right now but it's it got really bad today like I woke up I stayed up really late making my trailer uh, teaser trailer for my movie and like set it off and I'm pretty happy with it I got some notes from my team but like you know it's in a good place but like I woke up super tired and just feeling like I was gonna throw up 
<laughs> like I have so many things to do. It's like not just for this screening. It's like all the assets I need to send in for the movie. Like I, you know, I got into three film festivals last week, so that's like three more sets of assets I have to turn in. And then two of them are international, so it's like one of them is requiring for me to put subtitles on the movie, and it's like that's a whole thing that I got to do. And it's like, yeah, well, you can outsource that. Just, you hire someone to. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna hire somebody, but that's like you know more money out of the budget that I don't necessarily yeah. have. And then it's like you know just another thing I have to do. And so you know, and then like I need to announce these film festivals, like the ones I can announce, like first glance film festival in philadelphia woo woo got Woo-hoo. in um so like i gotta like you know start like getting the social media engine turning on these things i also just need to like you know be promoting the screening that's on saturday as well and so it's like these are the things that are giving me like a feeling of like oh my god like i have so many things to do and so like what i need to do is just like go like you said get my energy out yeah. go to the gym yeah. in my little grungy little you know gym office that or gym garage i have now i got a a muay thai ba- kick ba- a boxing bag that i put up a few weeks ago and so like just gonna go in there just gotta punch the bag for like 30 minutes yeah. like clear my mind make a list and just knock the list down and just like get off the things off the list that need to happen. It's a thousand percent you what know? you need to do and i think i also get the anxiety <laughs> by the overwhelming number of things that i have to do it's really dorky and like what you're saying make a list but like i just bought this notebook i don't know if you could see it my notebook yeah it's no, got it's pink nice. and it's sparkly my son picked it out because he likes pink and sparkly things oh fun. um but the reason i say <laughs> this is because yes you can say oh i gotta write this down but like really you should all have it in one place and then think of it as like a fun game which is really stupid to say out loud but it is what I do <laughs> is that like I get a little thrill when I knock something out and I start with all the easy tasks so I get on a roll you know what I mean like and then you break all mm-hmm. the long tasks into small tasks but I think I brought this up um, in another show but like whenever I get overwhelmed I go to Sean and I say oh my god there's so much to do and there's no time and he said all you have to do is one thing and I was like, what thing is that? He's like, just one thing. Just get one thing off the list. <laughs> so I think right, if you just think thing. about yeah. just each thing, not not the aggregate, but just one thing that you have to do in that next half hour and just get it done. Yeah. And that's good advice. Thanks, Liz. I already feel better. Yay, but the, um, I, and I think the boxing is really going to help f- for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then I was just like removing things from my, my like week that – are voluntary that yes. I don't have to do. Get it clear <laughs> like, out your schedule. 100%. Yeah. Just like, you know, you're going to do this thing. It's like it's caused you tons of stress. Like it's going to slow everything down. It's like just get it out. Like you don't need it. <laughs> you can yeah. survive without this it. This is why I don't so. socialize though. So I think at some point after, in a few months, you're going to have to reintegrate those voluntary oh, things yeah. where I still have not. I still act like i'm on um you know running on empty all the time oh speaking of social things this is like this is like my plan is to like make the movie into as many social events as possible i've got a bay area screening that just got announced (gasps) a few days ago we're screening at the the oakland international festival at jacqueline square on thursday i believe it's september 23rd i think that's the thursday let me just make sure i got that right but uh but yeah Everyone who's in the Bay Area, which I know there's quite a few of you because this is I'm a Bay Area person and 
There's a lot of Bay Area listeners. You guys should all come. Yes, that is right. The 23rd. 7 p.m. Jack London, which I argue is too early to be showing it because it's probably still going to be light, but maybe it'll be just dark enough. Um, but anyways. Oh, September. It yeah, was getting dark hope. really early last night. We're getting there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's. I mean, I know it's still light at 6, 6.30, but yeah, maybe by 7 it's dark enough. I don't mm-hmm. know. But anyways, hope people can come. Um, that's very exciting. I, uh, that's like the first Bay Area screening of the movie, and I'm hopefully we're going to get more, but uh, but that'll be a fun one. Um, anyways, wait, wait. Liz, do you think we have time? What, well, what? I want to end this segment with my favorite film festival story, if I can. Oh, sure, please. I And I'm going to call out the name of this film festival because I'm going to shame them. I got <laughs> accepted. I don't even know which film it was. I think it might have been my first feature to Cincinnati Film Festival. I think it was called like Cincy Movie Fest, but it was the Cincinnati Film Festival. And um, they like completely, they dropped the ball. Like they messed up the screening times or the screening never happened or something horrible happened. And I, my, movie, my movie never screened for some reason. And, oh my God. and I called them on and I was like, what happened? Please tell me what's going on. These things are really important to me. They didn't respond, but they sent me in the mail a used copy of Wag the Dog on DVD. <laughs> and they say thank like sorry here's so, your no, something, yeah something like sorry for what happened and then it was just a copy of wag the dog on dvd here's the movie it's a part wow. of me thinks that was like some weird code of being like shit is crazy over here and wag the dog is the only thing that we could you know choose to reflect the utter political chaos that this festival is running with um, or it was wow. just like, this is a movie we have on hand and it's used, but it's a gift. Let's send it to this filmmaker because we feel bad. And I like can, cannot get over this. So that's like my little story that reflects how insane film festivals are. It's like, why would anyone ever do this? Why would anyone ever send a, a used <laughs> copy of Wag the Dog to someone else? doesn't make any yeah. sense. Film festivals don't make any sense. <laughs> Done. Mic yeah, drop. very, very bizarre. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 there's a lot of film festival stories I could tell, but like I've seen like, I've seen it happen to other filmmakers at film festivals. Like I went to the, my very first film festival was the Boston International Science Fiction Film Festival, and it was an awesome film festival. But when we got there the day before our, our the screening for my movie, we got there, we go straight to the film festival, we go to one of the short blocks. It's like. 10 to 15 people there maybe most of them the filmmakers um you know some of them flew across the country from los angeles to be there you know (laughs) and then like something happened with the way they are playing the movies and they lost about half the movies so like half the people's movies who were there to see them didn't get played and then like some of them did um and then like some people who were there like had to like give the vimeo links to their their movies to the people and then they played them off a laptop instead of playing it through the other way they were going to play it and like it was just a complete disaster and i was like oh god why did i fly to boston from oakland to do this this is so ridiculous and then like that night we were leaving we were like so tired from flying we're like we're not going to see any more movies tonight we're just gonna get some food and go back to our, our place and I look into the other theater that like is playing one of the features, and it's packed to the brim 
with people like all, all right, the way. That's why like, we do oh, it because it's a gamble because you didn't know. Weird. You, like when you go to a screening, you don't know who's going to show up. You're like, I'm just going to roll the dice. Yeah. I'm going to see if mine is going to be packed screening or 15 people. Will they play my movie? Yeah. I don't know. Will they send me a copy of Wag the Dog? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. And the, and the shorts like was the room where the shorts were playing was like not a big theater. It was like a 50 person like little basement theater you know and then they had like the big grand ballroom theater with like hundreds of seats and then the next day we go to my screening and then you know of course it's that little 50, the 50 seat theater but it's packed to the See? brim with people like people are l- sitting in the aisles all the way up like jammed as many people as they possibly could for the screening of those shorts and so it's like the filmmakers on friday got screwed i got lucky it's like I don't know. This is what you happened. So it's like, you know. Black. You bet on red. I don't know. You bet on the color that one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or I just got, those are the cards I got dealt. And I think like having that frame mindset of going, going into a film festivals, it like makes me more prepared for like yeah. what will happen or could happen. It could go you know? sour. So that's why I always. So do you want to go regardless yeah. if it goes sour? Yeah. And I, and I kind of do, yeah. you know, it's as many as I can. Like I really want to go and be there for the movie and like. You know, meet some cool people. Anyways, I think we lost our chance to, to answer this question again. Wait, maybe, let's try. Let's right? try to do it. I um, you read okay. it. Read just read the question, and we'll we'll just speed answer it. All right. So, you've got mail. I've got mail. We're doing mail. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. Finally, this has been like three weeks in a row we have not answered this question, but this comes from Eric Parnell. Eric writes, Hey, Making Movies is Hard team. Big fan of the show, and I'm hoping you can help with an indie film question I have. I'm a commercial director working on getting my first short off the ground. My question is about casting. It seems like a lot of directors on the show talk about how they had great casting directors that were key in the success of their film. I imagine there's not a big casting budget, uh, so I'm wondering where people are finding casting directors that want to cast for experience or do it on the cheap, and also casting directors that have access to actors that would want to work for an ultra-low budget rate. I have agencies we normally work with on commercial projects, but rates are always pretty high for the talent. I'm wondering if there's a specific place I should look or language should you use, uh, be using to make these inquiries. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Liz, what do you think so about this? So for what it's worth, I did respond to Ben directly on Instagram. So he's not been waiting for an answer to this question, but we wanted to share it with... To, to oh, Eric, fuck, right? To Eric. Why do I think his name is Ben? Um, Eric. Because Ben was our guest. Was like, I'm sorry. Ben, Eric, Eric, Ben. So sorry. Um, to Eric Parnell. I did respond directly to Eric Parnell. And what I said was, you go for the casting associates and assistants at big casting agencies. Um, they're looking to make a name for themselves, not just as an assistant or an associate. They're sometimes willing to work for slightly lower rates. And they have um, similar Rolodexes to the larger casting directors that they work for. So they have the same access. Um, that being said, I've never been able to afford a casting director on my projects. It's something that I'm working to do on larger projects. And I ended up casting films myself and just going directly to talent. And what you need to do is you need to have an offer letter written by an entertainment lawyer that is a deal memo. Um, And it's a contractual, you're, you're offering them an opportunity that is written very specifically um, in legalese that breaks down their rate, what you're offering, the dates, everything like that. And that is the way to kind of jump the casting line. But a great casting director is worth worth their rate. I just never had the budget. Done. Yeah. Um, 
Same, basically. Uh, I've tried to get casting directors. I've got. I've tried to go after the you know uh, new casting directors who are looking to, you know, uh, beef up their resume and everything. And it's you know for whatever reason, this has never worked out. You know, and I feel like it's just tough because like you know they're gonna know people who they think are great, and but they might not be the right people for you. You know, and then they might not be on the the level that you're hoping for them to be, and then. If you do send out, a, out an offer letter, or even just like like what I would used to do is send out like um, just like letters to the actors directly, and then just say hey like would, are you interested in this, and then send it either through their management or to them directly if the casting director has that direct con- you know contact. And then you know every time I've done that, it's like it hasn't worked out, you know. And so I don't know, it's a lot of work, um, and I think especially for a short film. You should be probably spending more time just finding actors that you care about and like going to them directly than trying to work with a casting director because it's just going to be a lot of extra time and you're probably not going to you know find anyone who's that much better than someone who you can find through like using the local um, casting websites and casting programs that they have. You and in, I in always differ on this point because I think cast is the most important <laughs> thing you could have in your film. It is, but but you're not gonna for a short film. Like, are you really gonna be able to afford to hire? I'm out to name cast for my like, short right now, and I've been talking to mm-hmm. like five different established good actors in in relation to this project. So yes, it is worth it, but um, it's, it's really hard because at least with the feature, just mm-hmm. like you're saying, at least with the feature. You could be like, this is a feature. We're going to release. Here's our release strategy. Here's what you go with your short. You're like, we will put it up on YouTube and people will see it. Like, it just doesn't have the same cachet or thrill that people will want to sign on Right. To. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, what I've done in the past is, like, I've had, you know, local... Like, like he's talking about he works with casting agents on his commercials. He should go to those casting agents that he's friends with and then just see if they have anybody that they'll yeah. recommend for it. Because, like... That's the, the personal connection to the casting director is the thing that's going to be the best for you to get the best cast or the best in involvement in casting your film. So go with the people that you know and the connections that you have. Like, don't try to, like, approach, like, a casting associate on a Marvel movie or something, you know, because... Are they really going to be able to help you? Yes. And whoever they have. I don't, I don't <laughs> they think. Will. I just don't know. <laughs> they will. I think they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, my rate is, you know, this is going to cost at least $500 or $1,000 for my casting rate. And that would be an amazing deal. And that's a lot of money. And then what are their casts going to want? They're going to want more than, um, than scale. You know, they're not going to just take a hundred dollars a day or 125 dollars a day i've had a Liz, lot you of think good so? luck with actors working for scale so outlier I- <laughs> you're an outlier i tried to get like we were trying to get you know this guy um like you know what's his name oh i can't remember his name but he's like the, an actor who i think you've said on previous shows are like the low budget like you know people you don't even really want in your movie tech casting, people and they wouldn't yeah. And they wouldn't do it for, like, less than $5,000. Yeah, because like, you don't go to the actors okay. who do things for money with very little money. You go to the actors <laughs> who do indie content, and then you offer them creative control, a good cast to surround themselves with, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of different angles, and I talk about this all the time, and I feel like I, I get really uh, redundant. Um, I think you should try. No matter what, I think you should try. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, yeah, you can always 
you know, cast friends and family or local talent, but that actor will get you to a different stratosphere if you cast properly. Yeah, but potentially, potentially. I, I, we've had some directors on the show who've had, like, you know, these kinds of casts that you're talking about who are, like, well-known faces, mm. you know, who've been in lots of things, and, like, they star in their shorts, and they're amazing. They do a fantastic job, and, and it does have that, like, oh, wow, you've got, like, a real professional Hollywood actor, like, in your movie, but it's like, where does this movie end up? It's, like, 10,000 views on the internet, and that's it, you know? It's like, yeah. you know, my, I, I made a short with zero cast, and like you know, just a completely unknown people, and like it's got you know over two hundred thousand. But you made it online. genre. And it's like so you when you're making a film, we're gonna say this <laughs> till like the end of time, right? Is like you need something to help you separate from the pack. It's either genre, cast, or something really shocking about shocking or zeitgeisty about the subject material. So I think you got genre and probably zeitgeisty with your film. Yeah, I did. Well, so that I had like a Star Trek angle that I used for promoting it. And that seemed to really work, you know, um, which is funny that that worked so well. And like the movie, like kind of has a Star Trek sort of thing. This to is it. anyways, thing, right? This is this yeah. is a strange thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're like Star Trek fans. And like the movie's based on the Star Trek episode that's super famous. And the monsters based on the Star Trek monster, you know, so I feel like. These sort of things, like I was able to put that in the materials I sent out to people, and I think that's one of the reasons why, like, it got picked up, you know, um, by this one site that kind of boast, boosted it to its like, whatever it was, forty thousand in the first two weeks or something like that. You know, you were smart so. and you were strategic, and you tried and you were audacious. So be audacious, yeah, Eric like Arnell. And Liz, I really hope that I have better luck with actors in my upcoming projects that like I get these wonderful, I mean, your cast, like, God, so jealous. Like you have some of the best actors I've seen out there in, in your movies. And it's like, you know, I, I used to think like, yeah, I could be like Liz and do it too. I wrote like 10 different letters to, to cast, uh, you know, trying to do the thing that you were doing. And, um, you know, basically what ended up happening was either no response or yeah, let's let's make us an offer. The 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 low end. This is like the lowest they'll do it for, and it's like way out of our budget, you know. And it's like, oh well, <laughs> wow. How can we offer scale when you just told us they won't do it for less than X a day? You know, yeah. it's like it's not gonna work. I get rejected all the time, though. What you see, what you see in the cast that I do are like the result of years of. Me like I told you know the story about right. pushing off eight months for Anne Dowd. I mean, I tell the story of like getting rejected over and over again by agents and managers. It happens all the time. So the picture mm -hmm. that is gets painted is like, oh, I just get these actors, but ultimately I just like never stop and I just keep on trying mm -hmm. and I somehow worm my way in there. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to to keep in mind is that like it's not just like. Yeah, you didn't approach Anne Dowd or, you know, uh, Bobby Moynihan on your first, you know, your first outreach. Like, that was, like, years and years or lots of time of trying to yeah. secure Yeah, and it's, cast. like, yeah. leveraging one actor for another. I mean, it is just, like, a game. It is a chess game. So maybe I'm, I'm not great at chess, but maybe I'm better at a game like chess than I am at, like, really cool <laughs> games like poker where I don't understand them. Right, yeah, you were good at the game of chess when putting cast yes. together for your films. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, casting very shows. exciting. I, I can't wait to hear who you get to be in your short film. I'm, hopefully, you'll be able to oh, announce it. We'll soon, see. We'll see. I'm waiting. Exciting. I'm waiting. Any day, they'll say they'll reject me, and then I'll find someone else. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. And then that person will yeah, say hopefully. yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so, if you want to be like Eric Parnell, you can send us a question or comment or suggestion to podcast at MickeyMoviesIsHard.com. Or if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We've had, we had like a stream of like reviews come in, like you know, like three a month in one month or something, and now it's crickets. So, people, if you're finding the show for the first time and you're liking the words that we're saying, uh, there's a place where you can tell us about that. Um, you can also go to our YouTube page and leave a comment or question. And lastly, you can support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com/mmihpodcast and give what you can. Thanks in advance. And finally, finally, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast. And yeah, Liz, take us out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Ben Hickernell for coming on the show. Thanks to Eric Parnell, who has a similar name, and his name is not Ben. It's Eric Parnell. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find links to the things we talked about on, on all the episodes from 1 to 329? 330? 302. Wait, I thought that we were past that point. Oh, oh, you're saying that we're not caught up. Okay. Um, let not. me just spell that out for you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We are working on a new website. We'll let you know when that's up. We have some big changes coming our way in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. Um, thanks to editor Cameron for doing the editing. Thanks to everyone for listening. Talk to you all next week. Ultimately, uh, and how 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 oh god and ultimately Cameron please uh, I'm just gonna do it again I love All how you're it. like bargaining with Cameron as if like <laughs> <laughs> like he won't do it <laughs> well he leaves stuff in sometimes anyways three this is for real this time Cameron